The letter of James brings certain deep thoughts. Are you a servant or a slave of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ? Are you scattered? Meaning, do you recognize that this world is not your home, but we're looking for something greater of a heavenly city? And have you given your life fully to Christ? That's a good, those are good questions. James is talking to his family, his brethren in Christ. And as recipients of his inspired letter, he wants you to love God and to keep his commandments. He wants you to trust God and be blessed as mature Christians. So the lesson is entitled, James, to my brothers. Who do you trust? Trials and temptations remaining steadfast. Who do you trust? Trust on the slide behind me. Uh, that's a familiar picture for a lot of us. Charlie Brown and Lucy. And what's Lucy holding there in her hands? A football. So Charlie Brown can kick it, right? That's the game she and he seem to play with each other. But Charlie Brown seems to have legitimate trust issues with Lucy because every time he goes to kick that ball, Lucy does what? Pulls it back and Charlie Brown swings, kicks it, but he misses and he flies through the air going, ah, and lands on his back. Each time I watched this scene as a child, I always wondered, will Lucy ever let him kick it? We put a lot of trust in certain people. We trust doctors who claim to do no harm to heal me. We trust bankers to give us loans and continue to give us loans every time we ask for it. We trust preachers to heal all our wounds and bring family members back to the fold. We trust our own ability to manipulate a situation to our favor. So we trust in our, our wiles. So we get upset when things become difficult, don't we? We get upset and we look for a way to fix it. I mean, that's for a lot of us, that's part of our nature. We're trying to fix it. But those trials we face aren't always fixable, are they? So what do we do? Well, we come to our last resort. I say facetiously, if you're wondering. God, our last resort. And yes, he has the ability. So we ask and we ask. But those certain trials continue to lay a hold of our lives. God, why aren't you fixing my trials? When, God, when? If he is not going to fix them, then how can we trust him? Well, that's part of the teaching that God does for us through trials. I think part of our problem when it comes to trials is our expectation for them to be fixed. And fixed right now. If we carry that idea Certainly, we will be disappointed by all those with whom we put our trust. 
But from God's point of view, and our, and our own if we really think about it, trials are a tool for learning. Not a time when God should have to prove himself as God. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete or mature, lacking in nothing. James chapter 1, 2 through 4. Is it good to carry a child all the time and not allow him to lose his, use his legs and not allow him to fall and scrape his knees? No, it's not. Is it good to expect a child to do homework and study for classes? Yes, yes it is, as I look at Christian. Is it good to let them fail and learn about proper future preparation? Yes, yes it is. Are there trials young parents are faced with? Anybody ever been a young parent? Half of us here. Do those trials teach parents about parenting? Yeah, very much so. Should power be turned off for those who spend money forgetting the essentials? Well, having your power cut off just once uh, can be a major trial, especially for those, what will others say, kind of people. But it will make sure you're attentive to future payments, won't it? My power's cut off. Uh, well, it won't be anymore because I'm going to pay it on time the rest of my life. That trial helped. It's a teaching lesson, although it's very uncomfortable, especially if you're in the cold. So although trials can seem bad, and yes, from a perspective, they are challenges, Learning from them can bring great benefits. And that's that Christian maturity that James wants all of us to understand. Wisdom is wonderful, especially wisdom from God. But like trials, we want it fixed immediately. We want God's wisdom immediately. But immediate wisdom may not be a part of God's teaching process. Yes, God wants to give us wisdom, but if we ask, even for this, with doubting, will God give it to us? <clears throat> Many Christians struggle with this concept of doubting. I prayed and prayed and prayed, and I'm sincere, and I believe God can do it. I'm, and he didn't do it, so I must be not praying very well. I have doubt in my mind. They put their understanding based on the power of their prayer. I don't doubt that God can hear my sincere prayer. I'm sincere. My heart really aches in my trials. Surely I learned my lesson, whatever it is. God, take away my trial. But the doubting has more to do with doubting God himself. When it comes to the idea of a person who is aimless, like a wave in the sea. Their intentions in life are divided between God 
and the world. So their doubt is in who God is because they're sharing that trust in God with the world. Double-minded, focused on God, focused on the world. God should be the foremost of any decision, any thought, any way of life that pleases him. Not our riches, for he talks about that in this passage too. Not our life, not our pains, but God and God first. Whoever has James chapter 1, 4 through 8, please read that. God can use trials as a learning tool to grow us in our Christian maturity. We think of trials as something for God to take away. But God uses them or can use them as a tool to help us grow. A wise person recognizes God's love for them in their Christian growth process as parents do for their children. The second point, trials and temptations. Trials are those things which happen to us. Even our, even our life can be considered a trial. Our whole life, our whole Christian life can be considered a trial. For when we go through this test, according to James, we look forward to a crown of life. So that's referring to what? Our eternal reward. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. James chapter 1, verse 12. The crown of life is something we receive at the end of this life and at the beginning of the next. As we know, Christians struggle early on by persecutors of faith in the Lord Jesus. This would be a direct result of following God. Trials by affiliation. Who brought these trials? Well, if you think about it, God did. Because we chose to be followers of God. But the world who stands in contrast perceives our following God as an insult to their life. So Christians are faced with these kind of trials. But James said there are trials of various kinds. James chapter 1 verse 2. But God can use any trial as teaching opportunities as well, can he not? He can use them as opportunities for us to gain Christian maturity and godly wisdom. 
Now, we might not say this is from God, especially if we've done wrong in our society, incarceration. Well, that's just something we did wrong. We brought the trial on us. But can God use that opportunity to help you grow as a Christian? I've seen it. What about the IRS? That doesn't sound fun. But how you handle it, can that be a growth process? Health and chronic issues. Oh boy. If you haven't been there, you will be there. Is God punishing you? Or is it an opportunity for him to help you grow? A trial. I remember trying to encourage my mom. So she would be born in 1934, so she'd be in her 80s now, I think. She was still alive. She suffered in silence, meaning she didn't complain a lot. She really didn't. So I had to ask her direct questions. How do you feel, Mom? How is your spiritual walk? There are some intimidating questions to ask your parents. And that, to me, is, is a challenging one because they're the ones that should be asking me that. So I asked her, how's your spiritual walk? So she shared her frustrations, but even in her physical trials, she learned, even in her 80s or 70s when she passed, she learned prayer. She already knew prayer, right? She knew how to pray, but do you think being a person that couldn't do anything else much, she might have probably prayed and prayed a lot more? She learned prayer. She learned to trust God for herself and her family. Could she go out and take care of all the family needs anymore? That wasn't a big deal to her, especially if you had grown up and moved out of the house, unless you're asking for help. So she was reliant on others. She couldn't take care of her physical health anymore. She learned how to, how to let others take care of her. her. Now, that's a hard thing when you're independent. But what does God want us to understand? We're not independent from him. We need to be taken care of sometimes. She learned wisdom, godly wisdom. And if you think God can't help you grow toward being a mature Christian in your 80s, you might not be mature yet. I don't think the process ever stops. Temptations are those things that come from within us. They are those personal desires and personal passions that oppose God's will. God classifies anything opposed to his will as evil. Somebody read James chapter 1, 13 through 15. We can say temptations come from the devil. He is sure evil, and he opposes God. But it is our desire to do evil that entices us. Giving into that desire brings sin. 
Sin unresolved leads to death, eternal death. Even Jesus was tempted. We know that from Matthew 4 and Luke 4. Though he chose not to sin. And when he was tempted, what did he use as his catchphrase? Anybody remember? It is written. Yeah, he had the source by which to lean on to take care of those inward temptations so that he would not sin. His wisdom taught him that in trials and temptations, it is God that he put all his trust in. He was not a double-minded man. He was focused on the Father. This, uh, I saw some of you looking at the slide, the, the thing back there. I hope you can read it pretty good. Hammer and nail. I call it deeper in the wood. I like the cartoon on the slide. It's a screw on the left is talking to the nail and saying, Zowie, nail, you sure get hit on the head a lot. The nail replied, ha, every time I get hit, it just drives me deeper in the wood. Understanding trials properly teaches us this message. If we truly have faith in God, trials will make us stronger in Him, not weaker. Stronger in Him, deeper in the wood, not weaker. So if you are weaker, and we all struggle, trials are a great opportunity for God to make you a mature Christian. And if you're already leaning in the mature Christian category, trials are going to make you even stronger. If your true focus is not as a double-minded man. Anything, wisdom, trials, if it is from God, or if it can be used by God, I should say also, it is good. Do not be deceived, my brothers. Every good and perfect gift, or every gift, good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. James chapter 1, verse 16. And now our last point. We need to remain steadfast. Steadfast in what? Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. James chapter 1, verse 12. We should remain steadfast in God. The sports that went on in Rome in the Greek world was significant. A lot of work had to be done. A lot of trials that you had to do every day to get to your peak performance. That external training, that fitness regime, those are trials. And we don't call those necessarily fun, but they have its benefit. They have the benefit of making you a mature, complete 
athlete. Today we might look at the Olympics as the example. In the past, though, they might give you a wreath. Today they give you a gold, silver, or bronze medal. The military likes to honor those who pass various trials. But God wants to teach you something more important than earthly achievements. How to be steadfast. How to be committed. How to be persistent. How about learning what waits? The crown of life. For that trial we call the Christian life. If you're willing to listen to those people out there that talk of ease, talk of your blessings and rewards, all will come here in this life, then bear with me this quote from an old Methodist preacher. Why do we have so many pygmies in our pews? Because we have so many puppets in our pulpits. They're not growing. They're not listening. And they just have somebody who tells them what they want to hear. They're not growing. They're small like pygmies. That's what a pygmy is. God wants you to trust him even in trials. And he wants you to become mature Christians. So which comes first? Well, many times a person can be on trial, on a, in a trial, and then comes the temptation. Yeah, this Jesus is a prime example. 40 days and 40 nights without eating food in the wilderness. That's a trial. Who sent him in that trial? Well, according to Matthew 4.1, it was the Holy Spirit who sent him that way. It came from God. But then, while or after, he received temptations. Who brought those temptations? He was hungry. That's not a hard one for the devil to figure out, I'm sure. The temptations we know about came after the trial. Sometimes we can get into our temptations in sin and we give in to those things. And because we gave in to temptations, now we have trials. Oh, which can allow us to choose another temptation to sin again or for Christians who were tempted and gave in and now have a trial because of that temptation to learn from the great teacher and become mature Christians. Even from that. James chapter 1, 2 through 5. In your trials as a Christian, you are not alone. And God is with you. But we need to focus on our minds on God's will. It has been another tough year, has it not? Some have been sick. Some are chronically sick, even in our fellowship here. Some are struggling in their businesses, I would just say. Anybody who's a rancher or farmer is probably struggling in their business. Can God use these opportunities to help you grow as a contrition, as a mature Christian? Yeah. To trust Him. To fix all your trials that you have to bear. Or to learn and grow from them. 
to put off your worldly passions, to share with others who are lost. Trust God. Do you want to be a mature in Christ? Dwelling on the problems will never get you anywhere. Dwell on God. Dwell on God. Everything in this life worthy of sacrifice for God. Remember, everything's worthy to be sacrificed because you have a crown of glory waiting for you. Therefore, in Romans chapter 5, 1 through 5, before our conclusion, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now you may look at the clock and say, John, you've really gone over today. But I, we started a lot later than normal, so don't put that one on me. <laughs> but it's good to hear, be here with you guys, and I'm glad to have sent this message out for God. Because this is something that hits us all very hard. So we need to understand how it can be used for our benefit. The sermon is James to my brothers. Who do you trust? Well, I hope fully in God, for he will teach you things you need to know to be a mature Christian. Second point, trials and temptations. Trials are many, but they can be tools for learning. Temptations come from our own desire. So let God be our guide, not be a double-minded man. And third, remain steadfast, for in the end, you will receive a crown of life. I like God's promises. That's the one thing we know is certain. God keeps his promises. And I see before me people who are looking forward to God keeping his promise. Because this is not our life. Our real life. Heaven is what we have to look forward to. If there's anybody who has any needs this morning, or any other concerns. There once was a young boy with a very, very bad temper. The boy's father wanted to teach him a lesson. So he gave him a bag of nails and told him that every time he lost his temper, he must hammer a nail into the fence. On the first day of this lesson, the little boy had driven 
37 nails into that wooden fence. He was really mad. Over the course of the next few weeks, the little boy began to control his anger. So the number of nails that were hammered into the fence declined. It wasn't long before the little boy discovered it was easier to hold his temper than to drive those nails into the fence. Then the day finally came when the little boy did not lose his temper at all. He was so proud of himself. He went and told his dad and his dad acknowledged his great accomplishment. Pleased, his father suggested that now he pull out one nail per day that he never lost his temper. Well, you can imagine, weeks and weeks went by until he was able to finally pull out the last nail on that fence. So he went and told his father that all the nails were gone. Very gently, the father took his son and went to that fence where those nails were driven in and pulled. You have done very well, my son. He smiled. But look at the holes in the fence. The fence will never be the same. The little boy listened carefully as his father continued to speak. When you say things in anger, they leave permanent scars just like these. And no matter how many times you say you're sorry, the wounds will still be there. Today's lesson is called James, Doers of God's Word. Hear, do, and keep. So the first point is hear. If somebody reads James chapter 1, 19 through 21, please. So then, my beloved brother, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. <coughs> Some people take pride in their speech. Lack of words, eloquent words, proper timing. You might know this proverb, answer, a fool according, uh, answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself, Proverbs 26.4. But you may not recall the next verse. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. In James, things that lead to anger seem to be a big part of the things considered in this passage. Controlling anger may be as simple as, are you committed to controlling your anger? Like the boy who learned what happens after you pull out the nails from the fence. The things which James seems to be referring to is how you internalize your thoughts not just your outward expression. Brothers, when you get angry against other brethren or the world, is it producing the righteousness of God? That's a big question. Chances are, no. This is an important consideration. And James goes into the concept then of put away all filthiness. There's something about what you're holding on to. 
I was watching a, home, a building home show, I think it was either in Alaska, Australia or New Zealand. A man was building a complex house uh, for his parents on a beachy and sandy area. Now, he was already a builder, so he knew how to build, but he had never really built this way on a sandy area. So as he prepared the footings for the foundation, the sand had a nasty habit of falling back into the forms. So he would create it, the rains would come, or the rain would come, and there goes that sand. So he'd have to hand dig it out. And this took, it was a big house, big foundation. It took time. Finally, all was done and the concrete could be poured. In our lives, there is something important in putting away the negative effects that's on our hearts. It is necessary to remove these elements and meekly take on God's implanted word. Having this foundation, anger, not producing the righteousness of God, should be disabled if your foundation is secure. So we need to receive God's word and receive it in meekness. But before we do that, we take out the elements of filthiness. Now we receive God's word with meekness, humbleness, gentleness. We should accept it wholeheartedly because its teachings about God and Christ can save your souls. But a person that sees the word of God as something to be argued against, who fights God's controlling measure over his life, will not be quick to hear. They will do what they can to, to dismiss God's teachings. They will not be slow to speak. They will be quick to argue in some way. Doubts is, is in their minds and an unwillingness to grow. Perhaps man's tradition over God's word. They will fume inside their minds and this fuming over a long period of time will result in an outburst, ultimately a burst against God himself. So we must put away all that sand that falls back into our personal foundation and allow the concrete of God's word to set up and lay a hold of our lives, the foundation based on God's will. 1 John chapter 2, 15 through 17. Second point, do. Read uh, James chapter 1, 22 through 25. Prove yourself doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the liberty and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, 
We need to live the word. Self-deception is the action or practice of allowing yourself or oneself to believe that a false or unvalidating feeling, idea, or situation is true. That's self-deception. I find that asking many pointed questions, even uncomfortable or mistimed questions, helpful against being self-deceived. I do this when I study God's word. So this method sometimes pours out in my regular speech because I'm always asking the questions. I'm always trying to figure out the answers. And I'm always trying to put things in a particular order in my mind. Scripture is abundant when speaking about self-deception. There is a kind who is pure in his own eyes, yet is not washed from his filthiness. Proverbs 30, verse 12. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Galatians chapter 6, verse 3. The way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to counsel. Proverbs 12, 15. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. So we need to remember. Remembering God's word is important. It forces people to consider how God wants them to handle various situations. How to take care of a needy person. How to treat people in the body of Christ. How to live and act in a family and community. On and on I can go and I, I think you understand. One situation you may have found yourself in while we eating at a restaurant might help um, in understanding. One situation is that obvious piece of food that is on your front tooth. Ever had that experience? Sure, all of us probably have. You do not know while you're eating and smiling and talking at everybody, but that piece of food is right there. So somebody in their niceness politely lets you know and you go to the restroom and you look in the mirror. Ah, there it is. But you look away for a moment and suddenly forget why you were in the restroom. So you come back to the table with the same piece of food on your front tooth. This is the person who has deceived himself with an obvious piece of food still stuck to his front tooth. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently into the mirror uh, in, at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forget what he was like. The food is still on the front tooth. And you look silly. So we need to be people who look to be blessed. But the one who looks in the perfect law the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Are you really interested in being blessed by God? I, I hope so. I hope that's why you're here. Then understand this. Your works will identify your faith. Now, your works will not save you. 
Only Christ's blood does that. But your faith put into action shows God your commitment to him and salvation. So if you go to the mirror and see your hair out of place and fix it, you are a doer. If you go to the mirror and see that your makeup is smudged and fix it, you are a doer. What we look into is the perfect law. That's our mirror. The law of liberty. And when something is out of place or needs to be done, we don't disregard it. But what we do, we do what needs to be done. To look intently, or that is to look into something, deals with investigation. I'm looking in the perfect law, the law of liberty, and I'm comparing myself with it. I'm investigating. We are comparing our action or lack thereof and fixing it based on the law of liberty. But we must persevere. We must continue this process our whole lives. This is a hearer who acts. Oh, my hair's out of place. I better fix it. I got that thing on my tooth. I better take it off lest I forget about it and go back into the meal and still have it there. The third point is keep. James chapter 1, 26 through 27. Does it have real value, is my question. That tongue, <laughs> it's a challenge. It's a challenge, but it's not the tongue itself, is it? It's the heart that's behind the tongue. Self-deception is real for those who consider themselves religious, but don't practice controlling their tongue. Can I be soft-spoken and not control my tongue? Yeah. Can I be soft-spoken and control my tongue? Can I be boisterous and not control my tongue? Yes. Can I be boisterous and control my tongue? In all this, the heart plays a big part. Because from the heart, the mouth speaks, according to Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. So what does not controlling the tongue look like biblically to go on with sinful words lies gossips unnecessary criticism blasphemy how about certain kinds of body language that comes from the heart a show of being religious is plain worthless if all you do is come here on Sunday, but you don't live it. That's a show. 
We must have a devoted to God heart and action. It is a truly a wonderful endeavor. We talked about that in class this morning. Not in those words, but being a part of God and Christ is wonderful if we are enthusiastic about it. That's the word I was thinking of. In God. Excited to be in God. So we must treat it that way. Now, James talks about how we can do that. Well, we can do that in the form of others or helping others. There are things that show our faith in action. James suggests visiting widows and orphans in their affliction. When someone is afflicted, you might bring them care, perhaps means to assist in their bills or food. How about the company and sharing the word of God? Is this something everyone can participate in? Yes. You are thinking and doing for others. You are putting your faith in action. That's a good thing. But if you visit, are you spreading gossip and lies while you're doing it? You know, it's, it's different just to visit, but it's, a, it's another thing where your heart going during the visit. Are you trying to push your agenda or God's? It looks good on the outside for me to go visit, but if all I'm doing is gossiping and lies and whatever, it's not really doing anything. It's a show. If you are putting your faith into action, you are looking at things from the view of the perfect law. See, you're, you're looking into it intently, investigating to go, is my hair out of place? I better fix it. We look at it from the perfect law viewpoint, not from the viewpoint of the person who still has food stuck on their front tooth. The third point is, in this is self. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit widows and orphans in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world or while keeping oneself unstained from the world. James chapter 1, verse 27. So we can, we can be doers with the word of God by helping others. But there's also something about ourself that's involved. Not only do we become doers of God, God's word by our outside actions, we become doers by growing spiritually while keeping oneself unstained from the world. To do that takes some fortitude, doesn't it? and some recognition of what is guiding you. Now, being unstained may have something to do with that mirror. The one who remains stained knows that the word revealed, uh, but doesn't live it. You might remove that piece of meat from your tooth. Or will you sustain sin? Gossip, lies, unnecessary criticism, lack of kindness? Or leave it there for all to look at. Man, he goes to church, but boy, is he mean. Well, everybody's looking at that food on your tooth. He's not living the standard. God wants us to keep ourselves unstained. So after you fix a stain, moms, anybody who has kids, 
Grape juice was always my preferred stain growing up. Something you spill on your shirt. Do you immediately go out and add more stain again once you fixed it? No, you want to keep it nice? God takes care of our real stain, the sin problems, through his son's blood. Our commitment is our desire not to be infused by worldly passions and attitudes, but to keep our spiritual outfit as clean as possible, not in separating ourselves physically from worldly people, but having action Learn from God's word, showing commitment to God. James, doer of God's word. Hear, do, and keep. Hear, let's be a people who listen to God's word with humble hearts. Hearts that have that sand moved out of the place so the proper form can be filled with God's concrete. We need to be people who do. The one who does is the one who wants the word to change him in action. Who looks and says, ah, I'm better now. I am looking and acting and being as God wants me to be. Keep. Not only doing for others, but one who keeps himself unstained from the world. I think this is an important lesson, a practical lesson. Practical in the sense of how should a Christian live? 